0: the thing about the whole sing-along business it's not just stroking my fragile ego though he's doing that um as well it's just you know i love it when everyone sings together because it makes this raised up bit of flooring in this barrier less important it's more like a communal activity i think that we're doing together as a world full of equals and it and so becomes a conversation rather the monologue and i love all of that and it strokes my ego as well
1: so it's
2: Hello and welcome back to the greatest song ever sung poorly the podcast that takes karaoke exactly as seriously as it should be taken I'm your punk rock party pooper
1: Adam Wainwright And I'm dying to get into the mosh pit Ed Kennard. Hell yeah Ed It's been a while since I've been in a good mosh pit It's been a little while since
2: we've dropped one of these episodes to welcome to season two baby we're here I'm ready to jump into a mosh pit over season two of the greatest song ever sung poorly What a way to kick it off right? What a way to kick it off. Are you kidding me? We're, we're kicking off the season with Frank Turner. Our guest is Frank Turner this episode, y'all. How did this happen, Ed? How, how did we get here? What motivated us to reach
1: out to Frank Turner and see if you could come talk to us about karaoke? Well, obviously, we're both fans of his music, but that's not why we invited him on. The reason that we have invited him on is because of an interview he did with Liam Bird. Liam has the Punks in Pubs podcast. And in that episode, Frank told a really great karaoke story, which we're going to share here now.
0: Um, One of them is that I once got thrown out of a karaoke bar in New York um, because I was several sheets of the wind. We'd just finished recording my third record. Um, Poetry of the Deed, and I'd been sort of like not drinking and holding it together for the recording period in order to do my best work, and I was having a post-album celebration, and I was in a karaoke bar, and I was singing about Out of Hell, and the, the cut, the edits from the five to the nine happens right at the end of the song, so I was happily singing about Out of Hell, and then suddenly I realized it was a five-minute version, and I went, you fucking cunt!" <laughs> which into the microphone, which in America is is a word that carries more weight, and the bouncer's dragged me off the stage <laughs> and threw me out. Um, the other thing about Were you me... singing things you were being dragged out while like, you're yeah, yeah, singing, <laughs> singing the rest of the case <laughs> editing out. Yeah. Um
1: the other Liam, again, thanks for letting us use that clip. But that's why we had to reach out to him to have him on. That's a great karaoke story. And if you've got one great karaoke story, typically you have a couple. And spoiler alert, y'all,
2: he definitely did have some very, very great karaoke stories. You would not be disappointed. Stick around. Make sure you check out the interview with Frank Turner. It's going to be coming up in a little bit. But until then, we're going to talk a little bit about cover songs. We're going to talk about being a musician at karaoke. And we're going to talk about the barrier to making things a little bit. Like, what, what's that disconnect? What what stops us from making music as opposed to just singing at the screen? Ed, if you could take all of these things that I just described that we're talking about today and simplify them to just a couple of words, how how would you simplify What What's your condensed version of what we're talking about today.
1: What we're talking about today is loving music and how we engage with it. Ooh, loving music and how we engage with it. So I have a question for you, Adam. I have an answer, Ed. Fantastic. I would hope so. Is a karaoke performance, a cover song? Man, I, I struggle with this. Okay. Cause I could see
2: this going two ways from the musician friends that I have. Uh, I think they'd steadfastly say, no, it's, it's not a cover. But I would argue I think it's partially a cover, but it's not the entire way to a cover because you're definitely covering the vocals like your voice sounds differently. You're, you're, the way you're approaching the music, the way you're hearing the music, even everything about the song is, is going to be different. And when you're performing it, you're giving your own performance of an established song. And I think that's what a basic definition of a cover song is going to be. At the same time, I understand that you're not covering the instrumental. And that's an important part of making a cover is taking every aspect and every little part of a song and assembling it in your own way. So there's a valuable part of that that's missing
1: with singing a karaoke song. How do you feel about it, Ed? No, I think that's the exact way I would have said it too. You can definitely do some transformative things with karaoke, but at the same time, you're just using your voice to do it. You're doing it along to a backing track and you have no real control over that backing track unless you're gonna ask the host, to pitch it up or pitch it down which i almost never do i just roll with it as it is typically but one of the things that i love about what frank turner does with his music is he does a lot of cover songs i mean you know this he does them into shows he does Mm -hmm. that on his collections and i figured that was a good way to introduce our newest segment for season two the karaoke trivia bullpen the only acceptable distraction at the bar when people aren't singing at screens.
2: I'm so excited for this, Ed. I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited. Guys, this is gonna be a recurring thing. We're gonna have a scoreboard. Give them the lowdown of what's about to happen right now, because I love this.
1: First season, we did a lot of trivia challenges back and forth at each other, and we just made up points, and we did it very willy-nilly. But Adam and I are competitive, and we wanna see who's going to win season two. So we actually have a format for it now. Here's what you're gonna get, Adam. Five trivia questions based on this episode's topic, with varying degrees of difficulty. Each question is worth one point, so the top score for any round is five points. If you get stuck, you can ask for one hint per game. Even if you get all of the questions wrong, you can still win by answering the impossible question. Get that one right, and you get all five points. But remember, even if you save your hint, there are no hints for the impossible bonus. Yes. Yes. I
2: love this. I love that this is happening different. Every episode I saw it today, guys, I'm excited for this. I think Ed's more excited for this. Ed has designed a scoreboard job. It's like a Fenway park or an old school, like Forbes field scoreboard where we are going to keep score and keep a running tally that we'll post on our social media with the releases of every episode. So you can see who's actually winning and losing and Ed and I can brag about it to all our friends because that's what trivia is for is to brag about how awesome you are to all your friends. Absolutely. And I
1: feel like by the end of this year, I'm just going to be slightly more awesome than Adam. You're going to be slightly more awesome in trivia, maybe, but you will never be just slightly more awesome. So are you ready for me to cue the music for this theme round? Yes, please. Hit me with it. Let's go i'll give you one quick round of frank turner's covers so please don't fuck up anything anything it's been a wonderful show that we've put together now we'll do our trivia game thing that was amazing ed well done i am very much keeping with the theme of our podcast title by singing that parody of a frank turner song so is a parody a cover? I'm not sure. But what we're going to do right now is five questions about songs that Frank Turner has covered. Are you ready, Adam? Sure, Ed. We're going to see how this goes. Question one. On the collection, The Second Three Years, you can hear Frank cover On a Plane, a song this band recorded on both their major breakthrough album and on their immensely popular MTV Unplugged concert and album. Uh. So- Smells like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. We were looking for the band. So yes, Nirvana, you have a point. Okay, there it is. All right, one point for Adam. Question two. One of the perhaps surprising things Frank did during the independent venue Love series that happened during the pandemic was a quick, special short one where he played Disney songs. He finished that set with a song that didn't leave him all wet from this 1989 Disney animated musical. Did he play Under the Sea? He very much did, Adam. That's two points for you. That's amazing. Well done, Frank. Man, I love that. Question three. Also during the Independent Venue Love series, he covered If I Ever Leave This World Alive by what band? Flogging Molly. Three points, Adam. You're really kicking ass today.
2: Yeah, well, that was the easiest. I love Frank Turner. I've been a Flogging Molly fan since I saw them at a Radisson Hotel in Sacramento, California back in like 2005 or something like that for something called Punk Rock Prom. It's still one of the best concerts I've ever been to. There are like two hundred people in a courtyard of a Radisson with a pool behind us. and it was it was it was amazing. It was it was a great show. So I've been a fan of Flag and Molly since then. They're the band I've seen the most. I've actually
1: seen them seven times now. Fantastic. So yeah, I was excited for that one. Let's go ahead. Let's go. Number four. Question four. Frank has covered a few songs from this classic rock group whose guitarist is also an astrophysicist who, in two thousand and six, resumed, the doctoral studies he left uncompleted when the band hit it big and received his Ph.D. from Imperial College in London. What group can claim both a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction in 2001 and a guitarist who has worked with NASA on the subject of asteroids?
2: Oh, man, I I don't
1: know. I'm going to take a a guess here. uh, The Rolling Stones. It was Queen. Queen, okay. Now, don't forget you have a hint that you can take. I
2: did. I learned something today. I forgot about the hints, honestly. <laughs> I, now I can use it on question
1: five. You can. Also during those live streams, Frank and his wife Jess did a cover of this love theme from a classic 80s romantic comedy that was set in the 60s. Name the song. Love comedy that was set in the 60s. Uh, give me the hit. The movie involved dancing?
2: Oh, fuck. Uh, I'm going to forget the name of the song it's there now oh shit why is why is the name of the song escaping me see this is what happens when pressure gets turned up it's it's there um i i can't
1: remember the name of the song ed it's from Flashdance, right it was from dirty dancing it's i've had the time of my life by bill medley and jennifer warns yeah i know i'm kicking myself it was there that's okay, though. You still, you still have an option to get those last two points if you can answer the impossible bonus. Are you ready for the impossible bonus? I'm sure this is going to go so well, and I have the chance to get those last two points. One cover that Frank has recorded and done live is Barbara Allen, a traditional folk song. It's also been covered by the likes of Joan Baez and Bob Dylan. While we can't know for certain when the song was originally written or performed, the oldest recorded mention of it that we know of is in a diary entry of Samuel Pepys, an English diarist and naval administrator. Pepys served as chief secretary of the Admiralty under two British monarchs. To get the impossible bonus right, name one of them. Uh, King George. We were looking for either Charles II or James II. But hey, three points is a great way to kick this off. You're technically in the lead.
2: That's a great way. Yeah, you're right, Ed. It was three out of five. I'm not super happy with the performance. It should have been much higher, honestly. But. I'm excited we got it kicked off. I, I'm excited it's gonna be a recurring segment on the show. I'm really excited to give you what I have cooked up for the next episode too. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good time. I look forward to it. Let's kind of transition to the next thing we're gonna talk about today, focusing on just making music. Cause you know, karaoke we've discussed if karaoke's cover songs and even with cover songs, when you're covering someone's songs, you need to create something. You need to create the music you want to put to it. You need to create the vocals. You need to sit down and record. There's there's a lot that goes into any kind of creative process, even beyond cover songs or just writing an album or music or a song in general. What are some of the barriers that prevent you from making things? Because I, I think you're a pretty talented guy. I think you could make some beautiful things. What's the things that stop you from taking things one step further?
1: Honestly, Adam, for me, it is both talent and drive. I, I, I lack both of those things in a professional music kind of setting. During the pandemic, I tried to learn guitar. And by trying to learn guitar, I took exactly one or two lessons, bought a cheap guitar. I was like, I'm gonna do this as my pandemic project, but I was working throughout. We had the podcast. I really didn't have the time or really the the drive to learn how to fumble through some things on guitar. Uh, Maybe I'll come back to that someday, but like right now that's not a thing that I'm actively working on. And I also don't think that I think in the terms that you need to write music, I could maybe write lyrics, but the actual writing of the music part, I think that part is a little bit beyond my ability. What about you? The writing music parts beyond my ability. I
2: I can steadfastly say that it's just not the way I'm built or in the way I was raised or born, and that's a completely separate discussion, but the, the musical thing's just never going to happen for me. It's just not, I can write lyrics if you give me music, I could write lyrics and put stuff to it. I, I could 100% do that. I'm I'm fully confident in that because of the way I understand the structure of the song. And I, I could do that for you. I can come up with something. For music in, in particular, it's just, it, it's never been my thing. I have other things that I, I can create. You know what I'm saying? And there are things that other people would struggle with. With theater, You know, I create. And that's something I chose to get into. And there's barriers and it's like anything you just need to learn and start to understand and i have a unique ability to innately understand a lot of stuff that goes along with theater like people that play like eight instruments and they're like oh i learned this one i'm just going to pick up and learn this completely separate one and they can just do that because they innately have this gift or this sense about them which is amazing just amazing by the way i feel like i have that same kind of grasp on theater where I hear about techniques and something just clicks, and I can just instantly apply them. And you have to have something you're like that with. Like I've known you for a long, 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 long time. You have
1: things like that. What What are some things that come to mind that you can just do and they click? Mine are not music related, but when it comes down to it, it's it's writing language and poetry. I just have a fundamental grasp of those things. So when I go and do a poetry reading. I often don't even have anything prepared because I I know I can just put something together on the spot that at the the very least is gonna be passable. But Adam, you have made some music. Oh God, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, there may be a clip that's gonna be associated. We're gonna see if we can dig it
2: up from the archives. So on Black Friday of this past year, Cards Against Humanity was posting something new every half an hour where you could make money and they would PayPal you $5 like do it for five. And so I did some ridiculous things. There's some tweets that happened. There's just, ridic- you know, if you know Cards of East Humanity, you get the sense of humor that's associated with it. So I did create a song. It's about two minutes long. There are very specific guidelines you need to follow, certain things that needed to be used. They gave you the chorus and you needed to write the verses. And one of the verses need to include a certain phrase. And it was all about, what was it? Uh, I think it was about mayonnaise, but all I did is I went and found a a drum machine online and looped it. So that's the only time I've ever recorded any kind of music that was very uniquely mine and released it. We'll, we'll see if we can find the clips because you just, you need to hear how ridiculous this thing was. You're going to hear it in this episode, maybe right here. For the best creamy stuff, uh, open wide, it's chowder. Chunky soup with cream and powder. Nothing's ever made me prouder than your thick, nasty chowder. liar's not a chowder. Lobster biscuits, not a chowder. Gives a shit Just say it louder, a lot loud, of chowder, a lot of chowder. Everybody loves chowder. Uh. So I'm going to assume you enjoyed that. And if you didn't, I'm so sorry. Like just, just deeply, deeply, deeply sorry for that. Oh, it wasn't about mayonnaise. It was about chowder. Listening to it, it it's about chowder. I think the line I used in there was, if chowder were a city, I'd be comptroller. Which is a great line. That was
1: the line we had to use. It's such a good line. But that's my only musical endeavor. It's the only time I've ever created music. As far as I'm concerned, that makes you a musician. And that kind of leads into the next thing. Musicians and karaoke. We've already talked to Ben Dumb, season one, episode Three, the guy who has given us all of our music for our show. Thanks again, Ben. And he's terrified of karaoke because he doesn't have his band and he doesn't have his instrument to hide behind. And karaoke is a scary thing for him. And that's an interesting musician's take on it. But there's a lot of musicians who just hate the idea of karaoke. I mean, we talked about it with Douglas Wolk last season. Don Henley from the Eagles hates karaoke. There weren't for a long time official Don Henley written songs at karaoke. Let's just pause on
2: Don Henley and the Eagles for a second. The thing about Don Henley and the Eagles is that I don't give a shit what they have to say. Just just straight up, I don't, I, I don't care. With karaoke specifically, I think the musical artists should be compensated when it's created. You shouldn't be stealing your karaoke tracks. There should be some kind of compensation for their intellectual property. But at, at the same time, like, I don't know. I just don't like the Eagles, I guess. I'm on board with
1: this. Now, the one thing I will say, though, which cracks me up, is there is uh, a karaoke disc called the hits of don and friends so none of them are actually written by don henley but it's a lot of eagle songs and there's also a song on there that is written by mojo nixon called don henley must die i am about to check this out as soon as we're finished recording you really should mojo nixon is a is a wonderful <laughs> wonderful thing if you haven't explored his catalog so again i don't want to spoil our interview with frank turner too much but the fact that a musician who i legitimately adore his work is encouraging of karaoke has done karaoke and just likes the idea of people singing singing along to his music at shows i find that really encouraging cuz like my favorite thing about karaoke is the way that guys like you and i who are never going to be musicians But it gives us a way to interact with the music that we love. And I think that's incredibly valuable too. And I think that's
2: one of the the hidden values of karaoke is having an opportunity to do so. Because like, listen, it also kind of breaks down economic barriers a little bit too, if we're going to get into this discussion. Because live music is great. But to interact with the music you love, sometimes there's just severe economic barriers. I, I think the most recent example I heard of this is Olivia Rodrigo, immensely popular with a younger generation than you and I are in, okay? We're talking like the cheap seats at her concerts are going for a $1,000 That is an immense economic barrier to anybody being able to interact with her music. But a karaoke to interact and perform and share that music and be able to share with people when you're out and about on something you love, you can do it at karaoke for free or, or a small charge, depending if you're going to a private room or something like that but you have a chance to interact with an artist in a very unique way without the economic barrier that's associated with some concerts. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I
1: really do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are barriers to all sorts of things that stretch across economic lines like that, whether it's just access to the music itself, access to streaming services, access to reliable internet, or if you're somebody who makes stuff, you know, access to instruments, access to equipment, access to people to listen yeah it's a sad reality that there's still a severe
2: socioeconomic divide that prohibits people from engaging and sharing music or you know sharing their love of certain things and the stable internet thing just trips me out in this day and age it it really does the fact that there are some areas that just still don't have access to reliable internet is just mind boggling to me tying this all back in the carrier this is this is one of the things i love you know It, it it does give you a way to engage. It's not going to be the same as a concert. Yeah, we get it. But you get to engage, you get to share your passion with other people. And if you're in the right group, you're going to find other people who have that same passion
1: with you and it can form, you know, friendships that can last a lifetime. Like us, like us. The other thing that I found too, is I've discovered a lot of music through karaoke. I have two things that I wouldn't otherwise have ever listened to.
2: And what's a good example. It could be an example of something you never listened to, but you discovered it at karaoke. And now you're like, oh, this shit right here. This is my,
1: this is my jam. For me, the obvious one is a lot of country music stuff that I, I have learned to love over time, partially because it's stuff that's in my range to sing, but also because I, I'm not seeking out country radio. I'm not seeking out country playlists on streaming apps. That's not my jam. And then also the older I get, a lot of contemporary music that I otherwise would not listen to. I do remember the embarrassing time. We were at the Castle Pub. It was before karaoke started and something came on over the jukebox. I'm like, this song slaps. Who sings this? I'm going to buy it. And one of our friends just like started snickering at me. I was like, you don't know who to... I was like, no. I'm like, this is Justin Bieber. Baby, baby, baby. No, no, no. It was after that. It was Love Yourself. And I'm like, I don't care if this song slaps. I'm buying it right now because I buy music because I'm old. And now I actually sometimes sing it very badly at karaoke we could have an entire discussion about
2: justin bieber and that song in particular how i think that is the perfect pop song no question there country music is one of those things because we were doing it in western pennsylvania we were going to learn about some country when you go out there so i picked up some country music stuff although i primarily picked up a lot of country music that i listened to from the tv show the voice is what really got me started on country music i i never liked hair metal i never understood that entire movement I, it just doesn't resonate with me in any way but there's certain songs that i picked up and like you know, through somebody saying, I really want to hear you sing this song. Can you learn it for me? I say, yeah, sure. So like Patience by Guns N' Roses, I think is a, a beautiful song. I love it. I've started to discover a lot of Kiss too. I love the song Beth by Kiss. So just an entire era of music that like never really resonated with me.
1: And because of what I've heard at karaoke, I, something I carry with me now. That reminds me that a lot of classic rock kind of passed me by. Like I'm very good on old rock and roll. I'm good on oldies. I'm good on 60s, Motown, Soul. That's the kind of stuff that I listen to because my parents grew up listening to it and they continued listening to it when I was young. But 70s classic rock, hard rock kind of passed me by because it passed them by. And we have a friend who was really great at karaoke. I I asked him to sing the song once that I had heard him sing before and I'm like, can you do that Billy Joel song you do? He goes, I've never sang Billy Joel at karaoke. I'm like, you know, da-da-da-da, da-da-da. And it was Fool in the Rain by Led Zeppelin, who I had literally never listened to. And I'm like, I better go check out Led Zeppelin now, because the only thing I remembered about Led Zeppelin was the compilation commercials that aired on television when I was growing up. And so I knew, like, the riffs from "Cashmere," and that's about it. And, I mean, it's embarrassing to say, but that's how I got into Led Zeppelin, was finding out that Casey's Billy Joel song was actually a Led Zeppelin song.
2: That's a wonderful story, Ed. I love hearing stories of people discovering music and like sharing this. It, it is something I really do appreciate about a good karaoke night. I think we've done a pretty good job of touching all the bases here, Ed. I think we've we've accomplished our mission. We've played a great game. I know there's probably people out there that are just
1: begging for us to shut the fuck up, right? Wouldn't you agree? I think so. Yeah. I think it's time for us to shut the fuck up, cue the guitar so we can get to the Frank Turner interview. <laughs>
2: There's a good chance that you're already familiar with our guest. He's an incredibly hardworking and hard-traveling musician, an author, and an all-around nice guy who, as you heard earlier, has at least one really great karaoke story under his belt. Frank Turner, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today on The Greatest Song Ever Sung Poorly. Uh, I love the name of the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here and, and to indeed to revive these memories.
1: We're so excited to talk to you. I mean, aside from being big fans of your work, we wanted to have you on specifically because of that story you told on Liam sure. Bird's podcast about <laughs> how you celebrated finishing your Poetry of the Deed album by going to karaoke. Well,
0: it it wasn't quite that simple, um, but uh, the, that's the broad outlines. I mean, are we diving into this? Should I tell the story properly? We're actually excerpting it. Oh, you're excerpting it. Okay. Well, I mean, I can't quite remember how in-depth I was about it, but yeah, we we finished the record and. I didn't go to a karaoke bar specifically. I went out to get very drunk with a friend of mine who's a nuclear physicist, I might add. Um, and uh, he's he's at Yale, I think I'm right in saying, or he was at the time. I think he's now, weirdly, in Idaho. Anyway, um, and Yale, you can get to Yale, to New York City from Yale quite easily, right? Um, and yeah, he just like got a train down and he was just like, let's get smashed. And uh, karaoke was a feature of the evening and then we got thrown out.
1: Right, because it was the five-minute version, not the nine-minute version.
2: I know, this is completely unconscionable. (laughs) And I feel like most karaoke stories start with that, like with a friend that comes in, it's like, hey, let's go get hammered, and then karaoke comes along, so yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: sure. By the way, I have another karaoke story that's completely demented as well, if you want to hear that briefly. Absolutely, without question. We absolutely do. Okay, I figured that it would be useful for this. Uh, A long, long time ago, when I was like 18 probably, I was doing some kind of backpacking because I'm middle class around Southeast Asia. I was with some friends and we were in Cambodia and we'd crossed the border and we'd sort of been picked up by this young girl who was sort of showing us around. And this is a standard thing. They kind of, there'll be kids who'll hang around. They'll be your sort of tour guide. And then you get some money at the end of it. She was genuinely lovely. And at a certain point we were in Phnom Penh and it was my then girlfriend's birthday who I was traveling with. And, and our guide found this out and said, oh, we should have a party. and took us to a karaoke place right with her family but here's the thing about karaoke in Southeast Asia it is not a public performance over there you do it in a private room with the people you came with and no one else right so we're in this um we're in this like really small kind of living room type thing with a big screen and speakers and a microphone and like her family none of whom speak a lick of English and then like the four of us who are traveling together And um, there's this huge karaoke menu and it's all like Cambodian pop music in Khmer. And like none of us have any fucking idea what any of these songs are. and, And we can't read the Khmer language or indeed pronounce it or anything feeling really like Fish Out of Water. And then I was going through it and they had Bohemian Rhapsody. And I was like, oh, okay, I know that song. That's fine. But the thing is, none of them had ever heard the song Bohemian Rhapsody before. And the thing is, like, if you think about it from a distance for a second, like if you'd never heard the song Bohemian Rhapsody before, it's quite a startling song generally and secondly this was a badly recorded karaoke version of it that oh, wasn't 100 percent correct and it's kind of layout of the timing and everything and thirdly i was pissed and singing it quite badly and they just kind of stared at us like we were doing fucking drugs they were just like what is wrong with these people and it was kind of the end of the evening they were just like okay thanks bye um <laughs> and it, it was it was pretty awkward
2: that is just the spirit of karaoke right there. It either goes one way or the other. And that kind of just encapsulates everything, especially doing karaoke in Southeast Asia. Like it, man. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Uh, so I saw the punk rock karaoke band posted a karaoke from home video of you doing a yeah. classic Sex Pistol song. Yes. With them during the pandemic. Did you sure. get into the punk rock karaoke when you were with Vlogging Molly on the Salty Dog <laughs> Cruises? Man, you're really pulling the stories out today. I did. I mean, it's quite
0: bad though, because so have you've ever been on this, either the salt seal cruise or any of those kind of cruises that they do, have you ever been on one of those? Not yet. Still, still working on that one. I desperately want to one day. Yeah. They're great, but they're completely demented in the sense that you have like a mountain of maniacs with a free bar trapped on a ship at sea. You cannot escape and just everybody gets completely hammered. And, uh, The punk rock karaoke thing is so cool. And it was going, and actually, I think I'm right in saying when the first year I was on the boat, Steve Soto was running it, the late, great departed Steve, who I toured with many years ago. He was an old friend. And the thing is, like, I remember being at punk rock karaoke and I remember I'd finished all the shows that I had to play. So, you know, like the gloves were off in terms of my sobriety and this kind of thing. And then, like, I sort of vaguely remembered that I did a song, but uh, it wasn't until, like, footage came to light, if you like. (laughs) The, the true enormity of what I'd actually tried to do. I basically got up on stage, um, and was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll do a Sex Pistols song." And I was like, "I don't need the lyrics." It's like I'm a real punk. I don't need the lyrics to a Sex Pistols song. I know the lyrics. And then, of course, I mean, I think I've got a reasonable handle on the lyrics to to like um, "God Save the Queen," but like, I was hammered. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and there's a difference between singing along to a song like on a when a band is playing it and you actually like leading vocally do you know what I mean so I basically just got up and went bleh, 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 for like three minutes and then stage dived and um to to I think the amusement of
1: everybody who was there so you've done nearly 2600 shows and, and people pay to see you perform as an actual musician <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's a funnel of that previous stage. was like yeah the fucking idiots <laughs> anyway so <sorry. laughs> what's doing
0: karaoke like for someone like you i mean it's it's different um it's it's the it's a different um artistic endeavor i don't know if karaoke is an artistic endeavor but like it is i mean particularly if you're doing it along with like a pre-recorded track that's a slightly strange thing and um i mean ultimately it's supposed to be fun do you know what i mean so it's and it's not that i don't enjoy my shows but there's perhaps more than just getting pissed with your mates and having a laugh going on when i'm doing a show there is some sort of artistic intent hopefully and and maybe even like a panoply of, uh, emotions to engage with. Whereas, you know, if you're doing "Bat out of hell, you're just kind of pounding it out, um, and as karaoke, I'm not doing the song down, obviously. Um, but uh, so it is different. I mean, doing it with the band is kind of in between those two experiences, but, um, I mean, it can be quite weird because people are like, oh, you were singing, you should do karaoke. And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's a little bit busman's holiday sometimes.
1: Yeah. I mean. My thought on it was like, I know you're a big T.S. Eliot fan, like you're out there daring to disturb the universe. Adam and I are daring to eat a peach, you know?
0: (laughs) I mean, I would be very uh, flattered to discover that my efforts disturbed
2: the universe. How pleasant to think. (laughs) So have you ever been in a bar or a pub or some kind of setting where you heard someone singing one of your songs during karaoke?
0: Not during karaoke. People have done covers of my songs while I've been in the room. Sometimes, once or two, I mean, a few times, and sometimes it's been inadvertent. And that's kind of, it's, it can be a little awkward, but it's also insanely flattering. Do you know what I mean? It's like, because without wanting to get overly philosophical about this, there is a part of me. When I was a kid, a big way that I learned about music was sitting around on camping holidays with my sisters and my friends. And we'd play, you know, Weezer, Count probably Rancid, um, Soul Asylum, because I'm fucking ancient and and whatever else and, and you know they sort of in the process became our songs you know what I mean and like I've long said and it is a line but it's also true that like one of my sort of greatest ambitions for my stuff is that somewhere there's a campfire out there with kids sitting around playing my songs what a beautiful thought and if you see that kind of in the wild that's a beautiful thing and I've encountered buskers playing my songs at times as well which is fucking amazing it's slightly different when somebody sees that you're in the room and decides to crack out one of your tunes that's Mm -hmm. a bit like really dude (laughs) like do you know what i mean it's like um that that's a slightly different thing and obviously you know there are different levels of skill involved in these things and and every time somebody plays a song they should own it and make it their own and all the rest of it but i mean arguably playing it badly is a form of owning it but like (laughs) i don't know i don't want to do anybody down but it's I mean, ultimately, if somebody's playing one of my songs, that's sensational. I'd I have heard that there are some karaoke playlists that exist that have karaoke versions of my songs. on. I've not, I don't think I've encountered that in the wild myself. But, But I wouldn't do one, by the way, <laughs> if that was going to be your question. I mean, how...
2: How up your own ass could you possibly be? That may be the most up your own ass you can possibly be. That might be the sterling example of that. It really may be. to search through a karaoke
0: library for yourself and then (laughs) fucking do it. I mean, come on. (laughs) I'd imagine
1: Bono might do that, but that's Bono. So you were my last live show before Corona hit and my first one back when things opened back up for a bit at Mr. Smalls in Pittsburgh. And I love Mm. how you encourage everyone to sing along with rule number two at your shows. How did that start and what was the reason behind it?
0: Oh, uh, that's a good question. I mean, the the, the two rules thing um uh, kind of evolved over time. I mean, I don't script what I say on stage, because Jesus Christ, but like, at the same time, I mean, I guess there was a moment, uh, probably like more than a decade ago now, where it's just like, I, you know, I remain kind of wedded to anarchism in some ways. And like, I'm not super interested in there being a hierarchy in anything in life particularly and there, and there is one in the show because some people are standing on the raised up bit of flooring and everyone's looking at them and some people aren't and there's good reasons for that nevertheless you know i don't want to i don't want to like exercise any power from the stage or whatever but ultimately over time you realize that you can influence the environment in the room in which you're playing and therefore you should use that for good rather than ill <laughs> in my opinion um and uh you know, so, and and it's sort of codified over time that the two rules were the first one, don't be a dickhead, and second one, sing along. And the sing along thing, I mean, it's just, I, I fucking love it when people sing along at a show. I love, and, and not just yeah. in the, from the ego stroking sense of like it's, and it is ego stroking, it's fucking sensational for a room full of people on the other side of the world to sing along with a song that you wrote in your bedroom. But also, if I'm in a crowd, I mean, is there anything more exciting than that moment of sing along? It's just when a, when a room explodes in voice it's kind of breaking the fourth wall it's the moment that music really demonstrates that it's a collectivist activity and that's a thing that i really value i mean to pick a specific example the first proper full capacity show back which was that i did which was in july last year here in the uk it had been a really stressful day because some people didn't think that we should be doing it and the rules had changed but like there's a lot of kerfuffle around the show and i'd never i hadn't been in a room with 1200 people in it for quite a long time and There's a lot of nerves and it was all a bit weird. And then my buddy Jerry opened up the show and he played an Oasis cover. Now, I am not an Oasis fan. I don't like wish them ill, but they're just not for me. But he played an Oasis song and the whole fucking room sung along with it. And I just burst into tears because it was the first time I'd heard that sound in the wild in more than a year. And, you know, it's just a magic thing.
2: You know, it's, it's, it's communion is what it is that's a great word for it and man yeah that's see you know I'm getting all the feels I haven't been able to get back to like one of those environments yet like those pack shows so I'm getting like just hearing you talk about your experiences where it's like giving me like I'm chills in my body right now
0: yeah yeah I don't, when you when you find yourself able and comfortable and all the rest of it to be back in that environment again like bring some fucking tissues because you're gonna cry Um uh and and I did and then pretty much everybody did at that show. I mean I cried a number of times. Um including on fucking stage. But like it was it's a it's a this is a cliche and it's been talked about endlessly, but like ultimate and you can't talk about it without mentioning Joni Mitchell, but like you don't know what you got till it's gone and we all went to a million shows or played a million shows and it was just part of our everyday every week, whatever. And to have it taken away involuntarily for such a long time you realize how important it is to your life or at least I do and and to have it back again is a very very
2: meaningful thing your next album is due out this week and you did all the work on it throughout the pandemic uh, which is clear in the gathering and haven't been doing so well how did you know this thing that we've all been collectively living through really impact you and your writing and creative process uh well I mean
0: for me, I mean, it was it was a pretty severe impact. It was for everybody, of course, but like I don't I, I hate special pleading, but ultimately, like, my job is to travel around and gather people together in confined spaces. Like the pandemic affected everybody. I think it possibly affected people who do what I do for a living more than some. Let's say that. And it was difficult on an identity level. Like who the fuck am I if I'm not the guy who's on tour? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Or um but it was also difficult financially, do you know what I mean? And it impacted my life enormously and uh, I moved to and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's um, it's definitely been uh, quite impactful. In terms of the record, I mean, like, I didn't want to make a lockdown album, and I'd like to think it's not a lockdown album. But at the same time, art is supposed to reflect life, and we are all living through this enormous thing, and it would be kind of insane and slightly uh, sats to write a record that sort of pretended it wasn't happening at all. And it affected the methodology of the record. I had a lot more time to write and to demo. I wrote 28 songs for this record. That's way more than I usually would. We made the record in this slightly odd remote fashion. I've still never met anyone who played drums on this record. It's crazy. Um uh, and there's four drummers on the record. I parted ways with my long-term drummer, which was a sadness, but we have Elan Rubin from Nine Inch Nails plays most of the record and Dom from Muse, Dom Howard, um, and Jason from Death Cab for Cutie and your man from They Might Be Giants. Fucking eight, like, but it's, 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 uh, I've, we've never been in the same room. It's, it's, it's completely insane. When we made the record in that remote fashion, I was thinking it would be difficult to navigate and might impact the record negatively and all the rest of it. And I was pleasantly surprised to discover that it actually brought a shitload of focus to the proceedings because there was so much kind of technical setup to get into a place where, you know, we had, our producer was in Vermont and we were in Oxford and the producer was on a laptop screen, you know, on top of the mixing desk and stuff. And once uh, there were... Th- audio feeds being sent through the ether and all this shit and once everything was in place it was like we better fucking work you know so actually it was a really focused experience you know there was no we didn't spend the first half of the day mucking around with weird guitars or showing each other funny cat videos we found online or whatever we just kind of did the fucking work so it was actually a really
1: really kind of drilled experience in a way that i really enjoyed wow that's fantastic thanks for sharing that we know you have a lot going on with the album release and getting shows rescheduled, so we'd like to cut our mm-hmm. normal quick fire game down from an EP length to a single length. Question: You know what, man?
0: I mean, I was going to say I'm, I, I like quick fire rounds. Go if you want to do it properly, feel free. Let's do it real quick then. Let's do it. Let's do it. i like, really, yeah. I've got, I've got a break after this. We can just go into the break. It's
2: fine. Let's 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 go. Let's go. Okay, Frank. What's the best thing you've seen at karaoke? The best thing I've seen at karaoke. Yeah, the best thing you've experienced at karaoke. Oh, uh, um, I mean,
0: uh, 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 my sister singing Bonnie Tyler songs. That's that's solid. What's the worst thing you've seen at karaoke? Um, definitely myself in the mirror
2: above the bar. Um, <laughs> unquestionably. Okay. What's the one song you would love to sing at karaoke that you just never be able to find an adequate instrumental for? <laughs> Well, at the risk of sounding up my own ass, I have a
0: reasonably broad and at times obscurantist taste in music. Um, There's a lot of stuff I like that, that wouldn't be on there. I mean, it's slightly complicated by the fact that I often cover songs live, which is not Sam's same karaoke, I'm aware, but like, um, I don't know, I'm not sure I've ever seen a, an instrumental for Hammer Smash Face by Campbell Corpse anyway, um, and that,
1: that'd be a laugh. So let's say that you're in a brand new place while traveling, and you only have the chance to sing one song at this karaoke night you've been drugged to. What song do you pick to make your mark on that karaoke night? Bad Out of Hell, the full nine-minute version. That's where this
0: conversation began. It's like, I sort of feel like there's a question every person should be asked, which is the one you just asked me. The way I would phrase it was like, imagine that somebody's kidnapped your family, and the only way to release them is to wow someone with a karaoke performance. Uh, What song do you choose? And Bad Out of Hell. And we haven't mentioned this yet, but rest in peace, The Great Meat
1: Yeah, Oh, yes. We did also send you a nine-minute copy of the karaoke version of that. You did? You never have to be thrown out of a bar again. I, I know. <laughs> what? Yes, of course. I have been practicing
2: at home. <laughs> Our favorite question to ask everybody, because we always get such wildly varied responses on this, and we love it so much. So if you could magically strike one song from every karaoke playlist forever, what would it be? only one only one um (laughs) can i can i pick one band yeah let's let's go
0: one band sure and just i mean i mean i know this okay i'm gonna preface this by saying that i'm old enough now to be aware that kind of negativity is a waste of energy and that ultimately any band that is successful and that pleases its fans good luck to them do you know what i mean like if just because you don't like it who fucking cares like I, i if there's a band that's out there that's playing music and doing well i wish them all the best that is true Having said all of that, I just cannot fucking stand the music of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and if it was to not, I mean, ultimately I can leave a karaoke bar. Yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, I don't need to delete it. If other people want to sing it, then fucking
2: have at it. But like, it really brings me out in like hives. It, uh, See, this is what we love that we've had every, we've had responses from like, what was the last one we did? And we just did an interview the other day. We had somebody respond with just another wild answer that we didn't expect. So this is why we love this question so much. But we really appreciate you, Frank. That's all the questions we had for you today. We know you have a new album coming out in just a couple of days. Tell yes. the people about it. Tell them where they can find it. Give them the, the, the download. <laughs> sure.
0: is my ninth album, which is a crazy thing to say out loud. It's called FTHC. It is me venturing back into punk rock territory for the first time in a little while. Uh, quite a long while, actually. Um, so it's, uh, it's a heavy record. And I'm excited about it. I'm very proud of it. And you can find it in, on the internet and in all the places that you would normally find music. Was that enough as a sales pitch? <laughs> I've already pre-ordered, so I mean. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> well, you should too. Yeah, everybody should pre-order.
0: Do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that musicians love, it's a pre-order.
1: <laughs> Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on and talk with us about karaoke today. Is this the weirdest music-related podcast interview request you've ever had?
0: Ah, uh, there's a question. Um yeah. I mean I'm struggling to think of specific examples of weirder ones of I don't mean that as an insult. Um so it's up there, definitely. I'm not I've done a lot of interviews in my time, so I'm gonna just slightly um mull over the top spot for a minute. But uh you're you're in the top ten for sure.
1: Fantastic.
2: <laughs> top five. Fuck it, top five. There you go. Hey, listen, it always feels great to be in the top five of anything as far as I'm concerned. And we're very proud of the little like niche we found <laughs> in the world. Frank, we sincerely appreciate it. And man, I, I personally can't wait to get back to one of your shows and just be part of that environment you were describing. And I mean, it's like, thank you. we didn't talk about this a little bit at the top, but it's really magical. I mean, I've had a chance to see you. I saw you once in Cleveland with my brother, who is a diehard fan, by the way. He's going to be extremely mm-hmm. jealous that we've had time to sit here and talk today i saw you in cleveland with Flogging molly and it's just an experience i'll never forget it's one of my favorite concerts of all time oh my goodness was that the one that was
0: outside it was
2: it was like down by the river
0: yep that was the one yeah i saw that show that fucking show god damn let me tell you just i know we look i know we finished this up but i'm gonna finish i'm a raconteur soon um the night before that we were in detroit and nathan fucking maxwell from flogging molly got me so wasted the night before that that it was like There is an age that you reach. I just turned for you. There is an age that you reach where you really start to understand what the word hangover can actually mean. And like, I spent all day that day until about two minutes before we went on wondering whether I was going to be able to do the show. I was, and it was like, I was, I was a fucking Jackson Pollock of a man. Like it was, it was, I was completely fucked all day. And like my tour manager was like, do we need to cancel the show kind of thing? And it was like, no, I'll go on, I'll make it work. And then somehow the gods of rock and roll pulled me back into shape. And I seem to remember it being a pretty fucking good show, but, uh, it's, it's
2: worth saying that it happened by the skin of my teeth. So that from somebody who was in the audience, I did not notice and did not care, I thought it was awesome. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well this is a relief really... yep.
1: again frank thank you so much for joining us today it was a pleasure seeing you at mr smalls it was a pleasure seeing you here and i look forward to seeing you again sometime in the future singing at a screen at karaoke maybe or at least at a show
0: at a show and this is the i promise you this is the last thing i'm going to say we're about to announce an absolutely gigantic us tour so brace yourselves that is the best
2: i'm braced now this is the best news ever thanks again my pleasure thank you guys see you again take care We'd like to thank each and every one of you for joining us today on the, the debut of season two. That sounds wild to me. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, or you just want to engage with us a little bit more, there's plenty of ways you can do so. You can follow us on Twitter at poorly. send us an email at sungpoorly at gmail.com or um, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, any of those, send us a message, hop on Facebook, join our group there. Please let us know what you think. Let us know what you like to see. We're open to ideas. We just want to talk to people who are passionate about karaoke. And if you've made it this far,
1: that's you. We'd also like to thank friend of the show, Ben Dum, for the theme song, Gasoline. Make sure you check out his latest project, The Ben dum 3, on Spotify or other music platforms.
2: And make sure to tune in in two weeks when we talk about the healing and therapeutic aspects that karaoke can bring you. Well, that's it. That's all. There is no more. So, until next time, I'm Adam Wainwright. I'm Ed Canard. And remember that singing off key is still technically singing. Hello, and welcome back to the greatest song ever sung poorly—the podcast that takes karaoke exactly as seriously as it should be taken. I'm your punk rock party pooper, Adam Wainwright. And uh, wow, I don't even know where to go from that. Do you wanna try again? You're a punk rock party pooper? Yeah, you wanted to stick with the theme. I'm the punk rock party pooper. I feel like you're always the dour one. I figured we'd flip it a little.